We are so blessed, so blessed uh, to not only be gathering, but to, to be led in the way we have been, and now to be opening up the Word of God, which has so much for us to hear today. I want to pray about that in a minute and just offer this time now in God's Word uh, to Him and ask for His presence. But before we do that, first, how are you doing? Well? Sort of good? Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, the, the reason I'm asking is um, I, I hope you come into the, the presence of God and, and the fellowship with, 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 with some joy, with, you know, with, with some anticipation too, uh, some, some happiness, you know, something that God gives us in fellowship that's very unique. Um, and, and the reason I say come, in, come into the fellowship is, is because oftentimes what we're addressing in the scriptures is, is fairly heavy. Or, or it's things that we're applying to our life where, where we need heart change. And, and so it's serious in that sense. But I want it to be serious in a way that brings joy because we know that God's word brings us to a place of truth in our lives where we understand that he wants what's best and it's for our good, right? And, and so when we come in with a good and right attitude as we come into worship, it actually changes the way we approach the scriptures, does it not? Just raise your hand if you agree. Yeah, some of you are probably not listening, but you just raise your hand anyway. That's fine too. Yeah, but, but I, sometimes I ask you, how are you doing? Because I hope you're doing well. But if you've come in with a heavy heart today, I want you to know that God has something for you in that too. In, in other words, don't be fake. Don't come in and, and just pretend. But, but as you come in, however you are coming in, I want you to be able to, to approach God in whatever way uh, with, with, I guess, anticipation and, and, and that anticipation that is, the Lord has something for me today. So let's pray and let's ask God for him to do that in our hearts. And then we're going to take a little quiz or go through an exercise, we'll call it. Okay? Sound good? All right. Heavenly Father, grateful to be together uh, with this group. And whether you're at, you're at home and, 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 you're, and you're watching or, or you're listening on the FM transmitter or you're watching this week's uh, from now, uh, Lord, I know you have a message for us, so we ask your presence to be with us. You, unite us in wherever we're at in, in hearing this, together in your word. And, and specifically, God, I ask for you to work in my heart and in our hearts as we, as we are challenged by what we are about to hear today. And, and as we are challenged, Lord, may we be responsive and so we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. You can say amen too. We're in James chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, a bunch of verses here. We're going to go from 1 to 13. If you want to follow along, that would be great. But first I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? You don't have to write these things down. You don't have to say the first part out loud. In fact, I don't want you to. But uh, it's, it's just a little exercise, all right? Sound good? All right, number one, name your favorite superhero, okay? In the first service, they couldn't help but say that out loud, but don't. Secondly, do you got it, by the way? Uh, name your favorite musician or band or group. 
Why don't you just think, think this through? We're talking about playing favorites today. Third one, name your favorite athlete. I had a few people to do this in the first service when I said that, which I didn't know. Did that mean like they don't have one or they didn't want me to ask? Don't know. Anyway, you can ask later. Um, four, name your favorite TV, internet, or movie personality or star. Think about that for a second. I this is kind of one where I'd be really curious to know what the first thing that popped into your mind. It'd be really telling. Five, name your favorite teacher. I immediately go to sixth grade. Why sixth grade? I, I just do. Miss Hill, if you're watching or listening, you're awesome. All right. Six, name your favorite... Now, now it begins to take a little bit of a turn. Name your favorite coworker, neighbor, or roommate. Think, think about who that might be. We all have favorites. Seven. Name your favorite member or acquaintance at church here at Emmaus. Starting to get uncomfortable? Oh, you just wait. Eight. Name your favorite member of the staff here at Emmaus. Please don't say this out loud or I'm in huge trouble. Nine, name your favorite pastor at the church. Ten, name your favorite parent, brother or sister, or child. Ooh. This is the day I chose to bring my friends. <laughs> yep. Did that last part, you can say this out loud, did that make you feel a little uncomfortable? It better have. The question is why? And I want you to actually answer this out loud. Why? Sure, but, but why did it make you feel uncomfortable when I started making you play favorites? Because we know in our heart there's something wrong with that, right? I didn't have to tell you that, but James tells us anyway. Seriously? Because he knows that we struggle with this. And man, we're going to get into it today, seriously. This is a heavy subject, and yet, it's a common subject. So none of us should walk out of here and say, well, he didn't really need to bring that up. Or if you feel uncomfortable, well, guess what? That's all of us to a certain extent, and that exposes something in our hearts. Well, let's talk about that as we get into James chapter 2, 1 through 13. Because as we do that, I want you to imagine with me a home where parents played favorites. I want you to envision, and maybe you don't even have to, maybe you've lived it. I want you to envision a family where, 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 where one person is preferred over another, and I want you to imagine what kind of hurt or pain could be in that sort of situation. A lot, right? And then I want you to consider what James says here. Verse 1, my brothers, that's like Christians. That's what he means by that. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Then he gives us an example, one of many. 
For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, like a worship service here, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions, that's putting it kind of nicely, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Someone asked me, what's partiality when I first brought this up in a study? And, and just like, please define it. So here we go. Uh, partiality. Favor to one or bias and prejudice. That's what it means, literally. That's what it meant when James was using it in the original context, which, which was written in what we call Koine Greek. You know, very few of us, we're, we're peculiar people, very few of us would identify ourselves as biased or prejudiced towards other people or other people groups. Yet we all know that favoritism is, is, is something that naturally comes from our preferences and our comforts and our traditions and our opinions, right? J just agree with me there? Okay? Our way of thinking, right? And, and then we judge and base judgment upon others in that same way. Again, we rarely think of ourselves as prejudice, I, I think. At least, that, that's what I sense when I talk of subjects like this. And yet, and yet we know that it's a common struggle because we know what we're thinking, Right? We know what we're thinking, and yet we relegate a, a subject like this to the guy who says something horrible about a people group that he never should have said, that sort of thing, or the guy on the news who has done something criminally to someone, and, and, and it's clear that there were racial motives in it. Just by one example, we're peculiar people. And yet we know it's a common struggle. And I don't mean it's not a big deal. James is going to address that too. I mean it's an everyday thing that we seek to relate with others and love as God loved us unconditionally, church. Now the example that James gives us, and I think he could have used many examples here, and I'll show you why in a bit. He gives us an example of classism. He gives us an example of a worship gathering where a guy comes in with really nice clothes, and then another guy comes in and he looks kind of shabby. One gets a super nice seat, the other sits on the floor. When I was a little kid, a long time ago, I can say that now. Yeah, I can say that now. Um, long time ago when I was a little kid, I remember going to a worship service and they had like literally thrones sitting up on the stage, or if you will, the altar area, and all of the leaders in the church would sit in those chairs every single Sunday for the whole service. And I remember as a kid thinking, hmm, kind of messed up. <laughs> like, like, I sit in the back, but you got thrones up there for the leaders? <laughs> like, that's weird to me. Now, they would have probably said something like, we want to honor our, our, our leaders, that sort of thing. And may, maybe... Maybe there was good intentions in that, but I don't see that in a lot of places these days. But by the way, we haven't changed a whole lot. I want to talk about that too. We really haven't changed a whole lot. The example James gives us is one in which they're showing partiality to those who can. And this is, these are kind of like the two things that he's addressing. Number one, that we show preferential treatment of those we benefit from, okay? I, I put it on the screen as the second one, but the, I'll, I'll just say that because I was going there. 
But the first one is preconceived judgment based on appearance. In no order, James is addressing both. Preconceived judgments based on appearance, and then throw the second one up there. Preferential treatment. You know, someone who cannot offer us anything, or maybe, you know, annoys us. <laughs> it is often that we show preferential treatment to then someone who benefits us. And he's talking about that. Now understand, this was a cultural practice in an assembly they would actually see the person of prominence as more important. They would see the poor, especially in the culture in which James is addressing, much like maybe a caste system in India today, that sort of thing. They would see the, the other as less than human. And yet, just as was alluded to at the beginning of the service, boy, they just had those problems back then. We don't have those today. You know, it's interesting. We sometimes fall into the trap of thinking, well, that was then. We don't really do that now. But the truth of the matter is, aside from some political correctness, things really haven't changed all that much. Is that news to you? Like, seriously, what we're describing here, what was going on then and describing here today in our own society is pop culture. In other words, those who are elite, you might say those who look a certain way, those who have much, they're gaggled over. Everything they say, everything they do, it makes the press, right? And what? The poor are relegated to certain areas of the city and nearly forgotten about. Last week when we were on Franklin in 12, not far from here at all, I know others in our, in, in our church community live in, not far from this area. When we were, when we were there at the Marie Sandvik Center, it was a real blessing, by the way. Always is when we go down there. I know many people from the church are very involved. But they've been going through some pretty tough times. Since this summer, things have been very, very different. And, and because of COVID, certainly, too, there's no question that things are challenging for them, as they are for many in that area, for all of the various reasons but you know what? That area was like that when I was growing up, and I'd go down there to skateboard. <laughs> Seriously. My mom would be like, don't go down there. And I'd say, but it's fun to do that there. And it was not the greatest area then either. Do you, do, do you see what I'm getting at? It hasn't changed much. And we think, well, we, we, we know so much more now. We're not really like the days of James. Yes, we are. And I know we know that in our hearts. But the point I'm trying to make is we favor and prioritize some over the others. We do it in regular life, and sometimes there's reasons for it. And other times, there's really, really shameful reasons, like judging by appearance Have you ever judged someone based on their appearance? Raise your hand if you judge someone by their appearance. Yeah. My wife and I, we lightheartedly, we play this game when we go to restaurants every once in a while. It, it, we don't have really a name for it. But what we do is we try to, like, guess what someone in, sitting in another table, like, we guess their life. Okay? Have you ever played this game? 
And, and it's totally lighthearted, okay? But it is definitely based on appearance. Don't judge me. Come on. And so we'll say something like this. She'll nudge and she'll say, what, what's their story? What's their story? And I'll look over, and, and I'll see the guy, and I'll be like, oh, okay. So he grew up in Edina. You know what I mean by that, if you're from here. <laughs> and, and, then, and then she'll be like, no, she's not from around here, but she's worked for everything she has. And then we get really specific, right? He, he drives a BMW. Okay, just because you're from Edina. Anyway, she doesn't. You know, that sort of thing. And, and then we start talking even a little bit further, like things are going pretty well on the date or things aren't going well at all. He's looking at his phone way too much, that sort of thing. And, and it's lighthearted. I don't think we've ever been caught yet, like where people know we're talking about them. I don't think. Have we? Okay. Anyway, there was one time. I won't get into it. But the point is we do, don't we, make judgments upon appearance, Right? Now, that might be lighthearted, but consider a situation like this one. You get on the bus or the light rail, or if you don't take transportation like this, you go to the DMV or you're at the doctor's office. There's an open seat to the left and one in the back and one in the front, and you look to that seat, and then what you do next, you might look to see who's sitting in the seat next to that seat. And there might be a lot of reasons why you do it, but you do it. And then you base a decision, sometimes within a split second, on who is sitting there. Because that's what we do. Because we make judgments like this. And James is recognizing this. And let me show you. Let me show you how he is recognizing that within us and how he addresses it. And let me tell you why he addresses it as well. James tells us why the believer in Christ should hold to a value other than that which is the standard of the world. In other words, the common practice of the world. Don't think for a second that the world has established some kind of practice that is any different than what was back in the days of James. No, we judge by appearance. That's what the world does, because there's something in our hearts that's selfish. We want what we want, and we don't always put our neighbor above ourselves, right? No, there's a standard. Look at verse 1 for the believer in Christ, and then we'll talk about why. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Sounds like it's just like this Christianese language. Sounds pretty, that sort of thing. But actually, there's a lot to what he's saying. What he's saying is, you know what I was talking about in chapter 1? Where I said, what you've received from God, you should display for others and project unto others. What you've received freely by grace... Remember what you've received that you do not deserve? It, it, it goes back to John 3.16 as one example, a theme for today. For God so loved the world. World means all people, right? Not for God so loved America. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, and this is the key. What, what is it? Whosoever. You know, for those who are, like, counting fairness, you'd say, well, that's not fair. I'm, 
There are some people that are just really bad, and I'm better than them. And this is what James is getting at. He's saying the believer in Christ doesn't show partiality. Why? Because we're not better than anyone else. We've been given the grace of God freely. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And we are expected to be an example of that to the world. And if you're not an example to the world of that, who is? What's the answer? No one. Right? This is what James is talking about. And it also speaks to the character of our God. Deuteronomy 10.17, one of the many places it speaks of this in the Scriptures. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome. In other words, He is holy. He should be and is set apart. If there's anyone who should be partial, it is our God. For He is not like us in that, in that sense. But it also means this, partiality is incompatible with the character and the glory of God. And the reason James brings up the glory of God here, the presence of God, is that in all his glory, although he is set apart, he came down humbly and gave his life for us freely. Not something we deserved, but so that we could be forgiven and so that we could walk in faith in Him in relationship with God. Something that we don't deserve, but something He offers to us even though we've rejected Him in the way we live, in the way we act towards one another. In God's economy, the point is things are opposite. And this is what James is trying to show us. Look at verse 5. Listen. Tries to get our attention. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? See, the irony of all of this was that favoring the elite was supporting those who were oppressing them. There's still a form of that going on today. James is pointing out that they're favoring their persecutors. It's like saying, they don't love you. They're taking advantage of you. It's like he's saying, in the end, this will hurt you. What you think will benefit you is hurting you. It's like he's saying, try to fit in with the popular, and in the end, you'll be left humiliated and taken because they were never your friends in the first place, and many other things. James is speaking to a principle, and now we're getting into the heart of why he calls partiality in this next section of Scripture, sin. He says this, if you really, verse 8, fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, and then just in case we don't know what the royal law is, he tells us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. And then he seems to take us in a little bit different, you know, angle, or, or almost as if he's going into a different subject, I should say, but he's not at all. And I'll tell you why in a minute. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, 
also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Stay with me. Verse 12. So speak as and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me show you what he's doing here. It seems as if James is assuming the reader will look at their life and either say, well, I don't know if this applies to me, or he, he's assuming the reader will say something like, well, showing partiality isn't that big of a deal in comparison to other sins. Do you see how he's comparing this in, in verses 10, 11? Like, this isn't a big deal. I, I, I know I should probably deal with this, but, but don't get all bent out of shape. And, and so here's what James does. He reminds us that committing one sin makes us a lawbreaker. Just like one crime makes you a criminal. He's reminding us of that. Okay? And then he is also doing something else that's very powerful here. He is also telling us that the letter of the law says one thing, but the heart of the law goes much, much deeper. And it's something that Jesus taught. James is recalling what his half-brother taught. He gives two examples. What are they? I just read them. Adultery. There's a fun one. And murder. Okay, some serious things here. Just like hate and murder are connected, favoritism values one person and devalues another, right? Same with adultery in this sense. Jesus said, men, if you look upon a woman lustfully, and the same would go for women to men, even in your minds you're committing adultery. Why? What's the heart of the law? That objectifying a person, objectifying a woman, physically or in your mind, is one and the same with God. The, the spectrum of hate, then, and the spectrum of lust, then, is wide. And we like to see ourselves either here or here. Oh, I'm not like them, so I'm, I'm over here and I'm not like this. And, and what he is saying is God doesn't see it that way. And therefore, any form of devaluing what God values so highly is hate, and therefore likened to murder or adultery because of objectification. For Jesus died on the cross for all people. And this is the heart of the gospel, and it applies to everything that's going on with culture, it applies to what's going on within the church, and it applies to what's going on in our mind and heart, right? In other words, we see it all over culture, Racism isn't dead. Classism isn't dead. No, it's alive and well because in our heart we're selfish people. And unless we dress the heart, we will never actually address the issue. Same for the church. Did you know that currently today, if you Google how many denominations there are in the world in Christian denominations, you'll get a number like 40,000 40,000 denominations. Now, doctrine matters. And we make up different communities, right? So there's a reason why we have them. But does that give you a picture that the church is united? 
No. We are to be united in Christ. We're not to be united with the world. We are not to be united with something unbiblical or ungodly, but we are to be united. In fact, I believe that Christ will come when his church is united because he's waiting for oneness. And, and I want to prove this to you. Think about what James is likely alluding to. He's likely recalling some of Jesus' teaching. Uh, maybe a, a, an occasion like this, where Jesus was teaching his disciples and, and teaching some others, and some of the religious leaders come to him, and they say, Jesus, it says in this one case, a scribe comes to him. So this has been a, a well-educated person. They say, what's the greatest commandment? And how does Jesus, if you know this story, and if you don't, that's all right, how does Jesus respond to the question? It's interesting the way he responds. He says, he doesn't even go right to the commandment. We talked about this last week. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Shema. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the scribe says, you have answered correctly that the Lord your God is one. Interesting. He doesn't go to the command. He goes to the beginning, which would have been the Jewish prayers. And what he is saying is just what Jesus is saying, and they were understanding each other. The three are interconnected. They're the same. God doesn't distinguish between the two. So loving your neighbor, how do you do that? You put God first. And when you're honoring God, you will honor your neighbor. And if God is one, then it's a very part of his character. And that's what Jesus is teaching him. And I think that's what James is reflecting on. Meaning that for the believer in Christ, any form of favoritism is to be rejected. Because it's incompatible with the character and the grace of God. So the obvious application, everyone say, thank you for getting to it. You may. Thank you. The obvious application for us should be to address the common presuppositions that we all have. That if we're honest, we know we have. Because the believer in Christ has received love and grace and acceptance by God freely through Christ. And as James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So here's what I want you to do. Just like last week, I want you to type or write something. It will be quick. Okay? And if you need to think about it, I want to give you some time. So consider the three exercises or questions. But please do this because we want to be doers and not only hearers, right? Just as chapter one is talking about, and that's the context. Number one, praise team, you can come up. We're about to have communion. I'm semi aware of the time. <laughs> Number one, Identify one area of your life where you need to address favoritism. Identify one area of your life where you need to address favoritism. Parenting, your circle of friends, the way you treat one group of people or another. Be specific and honest. If you're harming someone and you haven't even noticed it, write it down so that you can pray about it and give it to God because that's the only way you're really going to address it because James says you need to ask for wisdom. Secondly, Identify a stereotype that you think about a certain people group. Even if you don't want the person next to you to know that you've ever thought it. 
because you need to give it to God. Stop with the fear. For it affects the way you see your fellow brethren. Number one, identify an area of your life where you need to address favoritism. Number two, identify a stereotype that you think. And number three, identify an attitude that may be present in your life that is causing you to be less merciful or gracious to a neighbor. Maybe you've been treating one neighbor down the hall differently than another. Maybe there's been a dispute and you need to ask for forgiveness. Only God knows your heart. And as you consider those things, and I pray, write those down, I want us to pray. And then we're going to go through our communion service and, and, and take part together, unified, in what Christ has done for us in order that we would receive forgiveness and grace so that we could move on, healed and strengthened in unity, because in unity there is great strength, church. That I know for sure. Father in heaven, as we identify these things, your spirit will show us if we ask. But we pause here for a moment and reflect because we know we need to give some things to you in order to take a next step. and respond in love rather than in judgment. And whatever spectrum we think we're on, Lord, we know that your ways are right and just. And so your ways are so much higher than the standards that we even give ourselves. And so we would pray that you would convict our hearts where we need it so that we could respond and receive healing and grace so that you would unify your church and our homes and we would begin to see change in the culture and the society which is in desperate need of it. We pray this all, asking in your name. Amen.